This episode is brought to you by The Island by Adrian McKinty, the international best-selling author of The Chain. So how far would you really go to protect your family? What would you really be capable of if your family was threatened? This mother and father are about to find out. Propulsive, terrifying, and blade sharp. The Island is the next thrilling adventure from the mastermind behind the award-winning global sensation The Chain and a family story unlike any you've ever read. The Island will be released in Australia on the 24th of May, so pre-order today. I read this book in two days. It's compelling, page-turning, and character-driven, and it's definitely one of my favorite reads this year. But be warned, once you start this book, you will not be able to put it down. Why, hello there. Welcome back to Bur- 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 Burgers, Beers, and <laughs> Burgers, Beers, and Books. My name is Ben Hobson, and it's, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. As always, this is the podcast where I interview your favorite author about their favorite book. Uh, Welcome back. I'm glad that you guys are listening to the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate um, you guys commenting and just chatting with me about all the stuff we chat about here. It is really, I mean, let's be honest, it's really an excuse just for me to read some cool books and talk to some cool people. And I guess my sinister plot is coming to fruition. Uh, Yeah, sinister laugh. Uh, Today I have Ali Reynolds. Uh, So, so excited to have Ali here. Uh, She's written a book named Shiver, which has gone absolutely gangbusters. It was her first book um, and it's just gone all over the entire world. And she has a new one coming out. And what are we in? This will come out 1st of May, June. So it's like a month away. Uh, so the next one's called The Bay, but yeah, she's she's an awesome person and I'm really, really happy with the book she chose and with our conversation. So without further ado, here's my chat with Ellie. Welcome to Burgers, Beers and Books. We both don't have burgers or beers, but we're vibing with that general idea. Chilling out. How are you going, Ellie? How was your day? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. I had a really good day. I actually went surfing for the first time in quite a while because I've been healing an injury. So, yeah, I'm really happy. Oh, wow. (laughs) That would have been euphoric, right, getting back to those waves? It was a bit nerve-wracking, yeah. I was testing out a knee injury and I nearly dislocated my shoulder instead, but, yeah, I survived. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a bit, yeah. But I'm sure it was thrilling, right? It It was. was. (laughs) Um, I don't surf. I've tried surfing a couple of times, but I can just never. I don't have balance or coordination. I don't know. Yeah, it's not for me, that sport. Um, But, yeah, I'm really glad that you're here, Ellie. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, Really excited to talk about this novel that you've chosen to discuss today. But I would love to start by asking you a couple of quick questions about your writing journey and where you're at with sure. it. Um, yeah. I'm just, and this is, I mean, this is a really, really blanket question, but I'm really curious. Has writing been something that you've always wanted to do, like writing fiction especially? And I guess, can you trace back to a time where that idea was birthed in you, like that first idea of like, this is the thing that I want to have a, have a go at? Um, yeah, I've always been a massive reader. Um, yeah, I we didn't have a TV in my house when I was a kid for, for years and years. So I just read books instead. And I spent so much time at the local secondhand bookstore that my mom said to the owner, you should give her a job here. So he did. <laughs> so from 14, I used to work Saturdays there. 
and it continued weekends and holidays all through my teen years. Yeah, and right. I guess being surrounded by all those books, it made me feel, yeah, I would love to write one. But yeah. the owner impressed on me how hard it was to actually write a book. And get well, that was what I was going to say. Like when I'm surrounded yeah. by a, a lot of books, it never struck me that it could be possible that me, I could write something. You know, it seemed yeah. like it was for fancy people, but you were looking at them going, <laughs> this is something that's achievable. That's pretty incredible. Oh, well, it was still like a dream, but the owner kind of made me feel, well, you need a day job as well. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I kind of just thought, you know, I can always hope, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, that's the whole idea with writing, right? I mean, I'm sure there's people listening to this who are right now working on manuscripts that they're, you know, you don't know whether they're ever going to see the light of day, but you just sort of got to keep on striking the anvil. Is that a metaphor you just that have works? To hope. Yeah. yeah. If you don't try, you will you'll never find out. So yeah, certainly when I was writing Shiva, I had no idea if anyone else would read it. And I think that's the best way to write, actually, because otherwise you get too self-conscious. You just get have to head. write as a no one will read it, write what you want to write and what so you'd you like to read. Did you do that for because the bay, this will come out like very early May, and the bay is right around the corner, right? Your second novel is did you face that when you were writing The Bay where you sort of, did you have a few voices in your head sort of? Totally different, the process yeah, right. for The Bay. Yes, because I had three very helpful, very hands-on editors, um, one in the UK, then the US and in Australia, and they all gave me a lot of feedback and mm. often conflicting feedback. So it was totally different and it actually took two years to write The Bay, whereas Shiva took me six months what? Yeah. Well, that's a way totally, different. Totally different process. I, I really struggled with having that much input, even though it's obviously was extremely helpful to have this expert advice. Yeah, mm. it made the writing process very different. And where was that when you say that it was a struggle? What was it that, you know, I always go back to, I don't know whether you know Robert Lukens at all, but he he once said to me, and I think he, it was on a podcast, maybe he said it, but he said that he, when he got his first feedback from an editor, he sat on the toilet and cried for an hour. <laughs> so <laughs> I think sometimes the struggle is, oh no, like insecurity, like I, this, you know, yeah. well, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's also challenging. Like yes. I give you these notes and you're like, how do I actually work this in was that more of where the struggle was for you with it well pretty much every time i get feedback from my agent or an editor it can make me feel like oh my god how <laughs> like can i do this really i don't know what i'm you doing yeah they're briefly devastated and then you just find some way to try and do what they're asking you when you kind of <laughs> no I, that's exactly what happens to me too like you'll spend a couple of days just going oh no yeah what am I doing? And then you go and look at your bookcase and you're like looking at all these beautiful names and you're like, they just do it so easily. It's such a struggle. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally with you. Because then you find that little spark where you're like, your subconscious is kind of working on it and it goes, yeah. boom, and it comes into yeah. you and you're like, yes, this is the thing that I have to do to achieve this note. Uh, I love it when that happens, hey? Yeah. Um, can I go back a little bit? Because you said something then that was really astounding to me you had no tv yeah 
That's crazy to me. What do you mean you had no my, TV? My sister and I, when we were kids, um, we were the only kids in our school that had no TV in the house. And, of course, we were really, like, bitter with our parents about it at the time. <laughs> yeah. We felt so hard done by. But basically it made me read because there were all my mom's, you know, thrillers and all our, you know, the kids' books around, as well as play outdoors. So I had a really outdoors childhood and, and reading. And I, wow. I just... You know, I love that now, you know. Was that, was, yeah. was that a, a choice from your parents to say, we don't want to have a TV in because we want our, it was our girls, right? You have a sister, did you say? Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. we want our girls to have, you know, an outdoor life and reading yeah. and a vivid? Just did they do that? We needed one. So when my yeah, sister right. and I really wanted one, my parents rented one a bit from the rental shop. Mm-hmm. And then I think they decided they didn't like it and got rid of it. So I remember I saved up my, Saturday job and I rented myself one one Christmas <laughs> but you know I'm, I'm quite old so this was back in the day where TVs did cost quite a lot of money you know it's kind so, of that's a lot of gumption for you to rent one yeah. for yourself for Christmas <laughs> oh man but yeah now these days I don't hardly watch TVs I just read books so I guess you've built that habit right that's really cool yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um now, I want to talk quickly because I had a bit of a read of your website and there's something I noticed about your website that I, I want to sort of ask you and then tie into your practice and also the novel sure. we're going to focus on today. So to just spoil the anticipation, we're looking at an Agatha Christie novel. Now, I never read Agatha Christie, so it was really cool. Um, and it's called And Then There Were None, which uh, embarrassingly, I have to say, I'd not heard of it. And then oh I looked it up God. and I know, I know. And then I looked it up and it's like pretty much the biggest selling, one of the biggest selling books in history, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But I want to talk quickly because here on your website, you you have this awesome list of some recommendations for craft, writing craft yeah. books, right? Yeah. And you have a few in there that are actually screenplay based. Yes. So I've read Story by Robert McKee because yeah. I used to dream of, directing and writing films one day okay, and then you have yeah. save the cat as well which if i'm yeah. right is a like a yeah so i was wondering is that sort of how your mind operates primarily in like a filmic way in a you love the structure of a film and then that translates into books in your writing i i don't really know it's definitely true that a lot of my favorite craft books seem to be you know this aimed at screenwriters but they mm. seem to translate just as well for novel writing yeah and it seems that there's quite a lot of guys out there who have studied all these you know classic novels and then analyzed what works about them and looked at the story structure and then explained it in a way that is really helpful as a writer so yeah I guess even though I don't watch much tv you know I have seen some and I do watch you know you know movies thriller movies I like so I think maybe um yeah even when I read books it just maybe plays out in my head in quite a filmic way maybe. yeah like it, yeah and um you know talking about Agatha Christie and this novel especially although again I don't know because I haven't read Agatha Christie but it seems like she was just an absolute gun for mapping out her books before they happened is that something that you really love as well? Do you plot out what's going to happen in your books before you write them or do you sort of go by the seat of your pants? So I had never planned a book before I started trying to write Shiva. I'd been trying to write books for 20 years and I'd got about four or five attempts 
And I put so much time into it and I just could not get a book finished in a satisfactory way. The storylines would get in a mess or I would not be able to come up with an ending when I got there. Mm. So I decided, well, maybe I should try planning. And I read all these craft books on how to plan books. And then, yeah, I spent one month planning Shiva and wrote it in six months. So for me, that process, yeah, of planning it just, just, absolutely helps so much yeah right so can i ask what that looks like because i think there's a lot of different ways to plan sure yeah i'm really curious do you have sort of cards up on a wall at all yeah definitely so um that every writer does seem to have their own way and i guess i'm just fumbling about in the dark trying to find what works for me and maybe something different might work each time around that it often seems to be the case from with, with other writers. So I think this time around, I, I knew what I wanted to base the story around, which was kind of a group of, of old friends trapped together in a dangerous environment with a sort of past secrets coming back to haunt them. Mm-hmm. And I wonder then why, I, and I just, you know, go, just branching off. That's very, sounds very familiar to me, Ali, the book we just read, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. And then I got it. I got a character web. So I think John Truby, one of my favorite craft books on writing, John Truby talks about creating a character web. So for me, that was just a sheet of paper with my main uh, seven characters on it. Mm. And I would draw little lines between them. So it looked a bit like a spider web. Yeah. And that was like the relationships between them. Truby says you should have as much conflict between your characters as possible. So, for example, one guy would be the best friend of another guy and then the brother of another guy and you know attracted to this girl who's the rival of you know his sister so they've all got different you know loyalties and And conflict and yeah that's really cool I haven't actually heard of that before so mapping out your characters can I show you what I've been working on yes sure actually you know what if I'm telling the truth can I show you what Mm -hmm. I planned out months ago and haven't done anything for for like a whole month (laughs) so does yours does yours look like this at all it is pretty much like that, except I've got a whiteboard. Um, and I've got a giant whiteboard. It's about six foot high. And I've got my little post-it notes yeah. in different colours. And I shuffled them around. I'd show you, but I just tidied them all away the other day. No, you're right. And it's blank waiting for my next book now. I'm just, um, yeah. oh, really? That's cool. I just, I'm just realising <laughs> that this is an audio format. This yeah. will be released on. So. <laughs> I should describe, I've got a cork board with just, it looks like about 40 cards on it with different character names. And it's really rough at the moment. I haven't, I really haven't done a lot on it yet, but I'm really basic. So you can yeah. see it's just like a couple of words per chapter. Yes. But do you sure. have that or do you have like a really intricate, like this needs to happen in this way in this emotional thing or how far? Well, I've got it. So for each post-it note represents one scene. So I've got typically about 75 scenes in my novels and I've probably got about two or three sentences or bullet points for each scene. And then I try to make sure I end on some sort of cliffhanger or surprise or something that will, you know, keep the plot moving along before the next scene. Yeah. Wow. That, um, Sometimes when I'm doing that, and even maybe I've done it with this, it feels like once I map it out, it feels like I'm not as excited to write it anymore. Like it's like I've done, I've told the story, you know, I mean, I know in a a silly way. Do you you don't feel like that though? Like 
I feel like I might, I'm mucking up the spontaneity of the writing by planning it out too much. Maybe you're more of a pantser. So for me, once I know what the scene, what needs to happen in the scene, then I can get to my favourite part, which is just sort of, <laughs> you know, imagining that scene playing out. So then mm. I just need to write it down. And if it's really working well for me, then I will just hear the characters talking in my head. And it's just so easy. I can just write it down because I know what where I'm starting from and where I need to end up. Yeah, so cool. It stops me getting in a mess and going off in and getting down dead ends and that sort of thing. So and also the other reason it was super helpful for me having those little cards is Shiva has got two timelines. We switch back between the, the present day when my mm. thrillers are trapped in a reunion and mm. 10 years ago when they were athletes training. And I just spent hours shuffling the scenes around to get the best order. And there's no way I could have done that in my head because I literally spent hours and the order was really important. Yeah. And I, I don't think it would have worked um, mm. if I'd have got a different order. I feel like, you know, and then just relating this to the book we're looking at and then there were none. Yeah. I feel like that's very true for how Agatha Christie wrote this, right? Like um, I see if I've actually found a quote from her. I don't know whether I got yeah. it. Yeah. So in the foreword of the book or the copy I had, she said it was her yeah. hardest book to write. Yes. Yeah. I heard that. And then she just spent <laughs> so long mapping it out and just intricately right. plotting it. And so I hadn't heard that. When it came yeah. time to actually put pen to paper, it was, yeah, she just got to actually just, I get, I guess, play within the scenes, but yeah. it was all really well documented. And I guess too, it's funny because I was thinking about it. She's kind of like the murderer. <laughs> right because she's sort of plotting everyone's because the whole thing yeah. so for the yeah. plot of the books for people who haven't heard of the book well you know I'm probably the only person in the entire world who hasn't heard of this book before but <laughs> she this well this character who we don't know brings 10 wayward people to an island and traps them there and proceeds to play this recording on a gramophone which accuses each of them of murder at one point in time in their histories and then proceeds to murder them one by one in accordance with this nursery rhyme about soldiers. And yeah, it's, it's intricately plotted. And I thought Agatha Christie is kind of being like the actual killer, right? Like she's plotting out, <laughs> do you know what I mean? She's plotting well, out each person's death and the order and how it relates to the rhyme and, I guess maybe any crime or thriller author is a murderer then, really. <laughs> Except she has 10 people, which is quite a lot, you know. Yes, it yeah. is a lot of people. In That's true. Book. Yeah. <laughs> um, a serial killer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, gosh. Anyway, I'm going to get to a little bit more. We will spoil the book because it did come out in 1939. So I think we've passed the statute of um, the date there that we can spoil it. Um can I ask, when did you first come to this book? Like, when did you first read it? And why was it the book that you chose for us to look at today? Yeah. So I read all of Agatha Christie's books at far too young an age. I'm guessing I would have been like 12 or something, you know, where they're probably a bit violent for a 12-year-old. And yeah, there is I a can't pretty exactly brutal remember when I read yeah, that one, but it stuck in my head. And I, I, I read and owned nearly all her stuff at some point when I was working in that bookshop. 
And um, I recently went back, you know, five years ago to try to reread some of them. Mm -hmm. And I often find books that are quite old for me. They, they really seem different to today's books. You yeah. know, they've got much, much slower pace. Paces and they can especially. really drag or, you know, feel quite dated. But this book, like, wow, I think it stands up to the time so well. It's so fast-paced, short chapters, mm. you know, sky-high tension, so much action. It's just incredible. It was yeah. actually, it actually floored me how how quick it it was. Yeah. It yeah. was absolutely like just bare knuckle. Yeah. Only the details that yeah. um, she thought were important were in there. But yeah. she wouldn't have characters walk into a scene and look at the clouds and, you know, yeah. mull over the morality of it. It was just like, bam, 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 bam. And it was. It was like and watching I, an action film. It was, totally. Mm. And I think in other, in less skilled hands, having 10 people die one by one, it could have seemed like a soap opera, you know? Yes. But it didn't seem that way at all, I don't no. think. No, it sounded. Yeah. And there were these really interesting moments too where it bordered into a bit of like an eerie, supernaturally kind of yeah. spookiness where she was really making you scared and like, what's going to happen? I don't know. Yeah. You managed well, they're going to mad. And that was really creepy as well. She portrayed that really well. They're, they're absolutely losing their minds yeah. stuck on this island. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's an absolute masterclass in. Yeah um brevity and in like restriction um yes there was a quote from Elmore Leonard that I wanted to talk to you about but it reminded oh, me yeah. a lot of what she what we're talking about um he said this uh because he has a book on writing but it's, he said when you write try to leave out all the parts readers skip yeah that's so true isn't yeah. it and yeah, I think that's I true that. for what this book is is it's yeah. just the parts that you want to get to not the parts that Oh, another scene description and all that sort of stuff. Like you, yeah. you get through it so quick and then things There's happen. no boring bits. There's not a <laughs> yeah. single boring bit and things just happen and we Constant get a... surprises and twists even. There's so many little twists, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking too, because in the book I'm sort of, so I've written a little bit of it, but I'm up to this scene where a bunch of characters all sort of come to a head and come together. Okay. And... Yeah, I find scenes with multiple characters and keeping track of every person yeah. and I just find them plonky and and a bit difficult to do yeah. elegantly, you know. Well, I've heard it recommended in writing craft books, you know, try and avoid having no more than three characters <laughs> in a scene if possible. Yeah. But, yeah, Agatha Christie somehow managed it. I, I That was another thing I noticed. Also, she writes from all of their points of views. Like in the start, we get a brief little bit from each character. So she's got 10 points of view. And, like, I struggled with my new book, The Bay, with just, I think, maybe six occasional characters have a point of view just mm -hmm. once you know yeah. but she maintained 10 points of view it's unbelievable it's staggering and then all their yeah. motivations are clear and all their characters yeah. are different they're not yeah. just copies of one another with the similar yeah. like it's not just her inhabiting like she's really yeah. working these yeah, yeah yeah um it was really fun to read i've i've been a bit swamped with with a few interviews and books and things, you know, you just sort of get asked to read a whole heap of books. So I didn't actually, yeah. can I say, I didn't start this book properly yeah. until three days ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like I had read it just the start bit, 
But when yeah. I got into it, it was it wasn't yeah. like it was tough. It was so fun to read. And now you can see the TV version because that is also really, really well done, I think. Is it? Because yeah, I saw it was like it. a mini series and I was like, yes, this book this exactly. book feels at such a pace. It must have stretched it out a little bit for the series or something. It might. Is it a two-part drama maybe? Oh, okay. So it's just like yeah. a, a two-parter sort of thing. But it's so well done, yeah. But it, they've had a lot of different versions of it. Um, yeah. There's a black and white one or two, I think, and then there are foreign okay. adaptions of it as well. Yeah. Um, let's go back and talk about Agatha Christie a little bit because she seems like sure. such an interesting character herself. Um, so I've read that she actually served in both world wars in World oh, War One really? and World War Two, yeah. And she was in hospital dispensaries, and so uh, okay. a lot of her knowledge of cyanide and poison, and yeah, uh, you know how she goes on about all the different sorts of poison. A lot of that comes from her knowledge from her time serving, which is pretty interesting. Oh, really? I thought, That's yeah, so yeah. Interesting. yeah. Um, and so here's some quotes from her about her writing process. Okay, and I. She's so funny. So the first quote is this, the best time to plan a book is while you're doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to hear your response on that. Do you agree with that? Like while you do the dishes is the best time to map out your novel? No, I would <laughs> want to be sitting in peace and quiet at the table because, uh, yeah, the paper would get wet. I need paper to plan. <laughs> I just, yeah, it just doesn't it strike you as funny, like picturing her plotting out the the plot for a novel that is one of the best-selling books of all time and just like humbly washing her dishes. I just Maybe she really sort of feels that that's what women of that era are supposed to be doing. Maybe she's trying to comply with the stereotypes. Uh, do you think? She yeah. might be. She might be. It sounded like, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of sarcasm underneath yeah. that. You know? Yeah, maybe. Like if I had more time, I probably wouldn't be doing the dishes, right? <laughs> or if the stereotype... Um, or the, the culture wasn't at that point in time. Um, she also said this, and I want to hear your response on this. Nothing turns out quite in the way that you thought it would when you were sketching out notes for the first chapter or walking about muttering to yourself and seeing a story unroll. Do you agree with yeah. that? Like the finished product doesn't quite look the way that you planned it. Yeah, I, I do think so. Like with Shiver, there were little deviations. Like I thought of a, a new twist and then right at the end, once I delivered, to, delivered it to my agent, my agent said, you know, I think it needs another twist. So then I had to brainstorm more twists and wow. tweak the ending a bit, which luckily I, I managed to do. But with my next book, The Bay, um, yeah, I deviated quite a bit from the plan. So my whole plotting process sort of, yeah, really went down to a lot of dead ends with that time around. I, and I thought of better ideas as I was writing. So. Really? Yeah, so that's interesting too, isn't it, that you actually, yeah, you make it actually better. You you improve upon it in the doing of it. You think of it more interesting ideas, right? I think new ideas always come and you just keep chucking through the, all these ideas. I think one of my favourite craft books on writing said something like, you know, think of 20, you know, different endings and get rid of them all and, and then pick the next one because the first one you think of might be the one that the reader, you know, will guess. So mm. it's too predictable. Yeah, I had um I remember this scene I had in um Snake Island. I had a character who was supposed to be quite intimidating and tough and he went up and he like had a bat and he he bashed the, this car in. So he broke the 
the headlights and he broke a window and then he started to yell right at the, okay. at the person he was trying to intimidate. But when I was doing rewrites, I was trying to think of, is there a more interesting way to do that? And so instead of having him do that, I had him just quietly step out of the car and then unzip and piss onto the front of the car in front of the guy. And then he turned around like he hadn't done anything. And that struck me as really weird and awkward, but so much more interesting, right, than just the, the, the trope of the bashing of the car with the bat. Yeah. So it is funny how I love that. Yeah. And it's like you you slowly you do find better ideas. It's the first idea is rarely the one that you should stick to. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There was another quote here. I thought this was really interesting. Um, She said this. There was a moment when I changed from an amateur to a professional. I assumed the burden of a profession, which is to write even when you don't want to don't much like what you're writing and aren't (laughs) writing particularly well. (laughs) <laughs> do, you, do you do you feel that as well like the moment that you are you become you know a published author that you suddenly have to be a professional author and you will just be writing even when the muse isn't striking and the cup of tea isn't exactly the right temperature you just sort of have to get down and do the work do you feel that's true it's definitely true and for me having a deadline and having to work under pressure yeah it does unfortunately take a fair bit of the fun away from it you know because you just feel that pressure um I think I worked best when I didn't have a deadline and I think that's why my second book took so much longer because I actually fell way behind deadline I'm a single mom of two little kids and of mm. course with the COVID situation my deadline was just ticking away like many other people's and I had my little kids at at home school shot and I didn't know when I'd ever be able to work again and it was yeah Yeah, pretty stressful that is tough and I've actually heard a few people say that when you get when you get paid to do something or when when there is an expectation on you it does sort of rob a little bit of the the joy from it that you once had in it just the pure creativity yeah Do do you feel like that do you feel like you're able, you've been able to come back now to a place where you're enjoying it again? So I actually, I ended up feeling really, really burnt out, um, partly because of COVID. I'm sure like many other people in the world, mm, yeah. um, the last two years have been pretty full on um, because it basically meant I was running behind deadline. I was a year behind my deadline, basically. So I felt like I was running on the treadmill trying to catch up, but just getting further and further behind all the last year. So I was working weekends, evenings, like just didn't really have any life work balance. So I've been trying to sort of take a month or two, um, the last two months, just to sort of recover from that burnout Mm, and then look at how will I start writing book three and have a better, you know, life work balance and actually not, hopefully not fall behind my deadline again, Um, but also, you know, make time in my day for some exercise and maybe not always work weekends and just. Yeah, you've got to look after yourself. yourself. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm struggling with that myself at the moment. I don't think you're I've... a teacher doing a, a full-time day job. That must be really tough. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, that, yeah, full-time teacher. And then I'm a dad. So, you know, I'm packing yes. the lunches. I'm taking the kids to school. Yeah. We're doing homework yeah. together and you want to enjoy your family. You want to spend time with them. Dude, yeah. So true. And yeah. I've been getting up at an absurd hour at like four 30 in the morning to oh, do yeah. exercise before coming yeah. back to do the lunch prep. But, yeah. um, 
it gets to eight o'clock at night and my choices are I could sit down and enjoy watching like a TV show with my wife yeah. or I could seclude myself in a little room and do something that's a little di- You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. <laughs> the choice exactly. just it gets so much yeah. easier to not write. I think the hard something. thing about writing is, you know, you never switch off, do you? And that's that can make us burn out if we're not careful. It's not a nine to five where you can come home, you know, or leave work at five and then not think about work till you go in the next day. Like The minute I lie down to try to sleep, my brain switches on and starts thinking about writing. Oh, man, yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I do because I was listening to a podcast today, and they—I think it was Catherine Collette—and she was saying, like, yeah, it is quite difficult to do writing, especially because we sort of have to fit it in around other things a lot of the time, yeah. or at least you know. Yeah. But she was also saying, like, it is—we're still just writing words down on a computer. You know, we're not tiling a roof in the sun sort of thing you know what I mean like it is still an okay gig to have and obviously we enjoy it otherwise we wouldn't do it right exactly I don't want to complain it is my dream job and it just blows me away that I will start from an empty piece of paper and just make up a story and then yeah that someone wants to pay me for making up stories it's still it's so cool and that's I guess what what Agatha Christie did when she was yeah doing the dishes right I just it's it's, yeah. it's it's a particular type of magic I just don't think I'm ever going to get over <laughs> um so yeah one of the biggest selling novels of all time let's talk about the book 100 million copies sold worldwide I've lost That's I lost amazing. track of the number of versions of the book yeah. that have been turned into films and tv shows um but really interestingly I don't know whether you know its history at all it had a really yeah. problematic title originally yes yeah. And the original copy that I owned had that title, oh yeah, my, when really? I was a, a teenager. Yeah, yeah so it could change title for, for another still quite, you know. I was astounded like, at how long it, title. And it then, kept that title. Yeah. yeah, so for people at home, it was called 10 Little, and I'm not saying the word, but N words, yeah. which you can imagine. I mean, <laughs> I read that in America it was never released as 10 Little n words on account of it already being too offensive in 1939 can you imagine that yeah so it obviously had a a different connotation i guess in the uk and it was based on this nursery rhyme but then subsequently it came out and in america it came out as 10 little soldiers which is which is where the actual well, it came out as end then there were none, but the, the rhyme yeah. in it was called Ten Little Soldiers and there were little yeah. soldiers that fell down. Yeah. Um, it was also called Ten Little Indians in America yes. for a little while as well. Yeah. And so they keep on changing the rhyme. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that the book, a book that has sold the largest number of copies ever, right, and it had this title. Where was it? It was absolutely astounding. Up until 1985... Yeah. It still had that original title in the UK. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just, I found that just, yeah. And yet it sold more copies. <laughs> yeah. People were just okay with it. It's, yeah, it's, that is amazing. It was that long until they changed it. Yeah. Yeah. But in America, even in the 30, even 39, which yeah. is you know, around the era that To Kill a Mockingbird is set, right? 
and they thought it was too offensive to release which is i wonder what australia did if they like when they changed it or if they changed it along with the uk or yeah i imagine we followed uk pretty closely yeah. we tend to do with, sure. with especially when back then the the crown and the commonwealth was much more important that's true yeah culturally than it is now um but yeah we've gone through the plot um did you know that also that there was a Family Guy episode that parodied it? No, no way. Yeah, and it was called And Then There Were Fewer. And, um, oh, really? Yeah. James, James wow. Woods, I haven't seen it, but James Woods apparently invites no. all the Family Guy characters up to his mansion and starts to murder them one by one. Oh, wow. Hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about Agatha's pace, the pace of her novel. Yeah. What what do you think she's doing that particularly makes us turn that page? Because, I mean, if we're talking about she's probably the most well-regarded crime thriller writer ever in history, right? So she obviously had a knack for us to get that, you know, that sound that we're all after as crime writers, right? Like that. Yeah. <laughs> that really quick turn. Like, how did she make her audience do that? What do you think she's doing so well? Well, I think in that particular book, there is just simply so much action. You know, with, with 10 deaths, we've got so many surprises. You know, it's each new death is a shock and there's other things happening in between. So there's just literally so much action that we want to know what happens next, the way the plot, you know, the ordering of the plot. It, it's just fascinating who's going to die next. Whereas I have had a, a go at rereading some of her other books um, mm. with less deaths and they are a lot slow paced because really? they're more sort of character building before and working up towards the death or maybe the death happens at the start and then they're slowly investigating the other characters. So actually, yeah, I struggled to reread a few of them because I think you would get addicted to that really fast pace, don't yes. we? And yes, for sure. Used to it, so I think another element that makes us turn the page is the mystery of who's doing the killing. Yes. So we we quickly narrow it down to one of the 10 characters and then we start to go, oh, I wonder if it's this person. I don't know whether, did you read it like that? The first, I guess it's hard. When you reread it, did you remember who the killer was as you read it? I don't think I did, actually. I don't think I did. I think it was so long. It was 20 or 30 years that I read it kind of with a fresh fresh eyes. And, yeah, I think you one person seems to be acting suspiciously, so you think that it's that person, but then maybe they get they die next. So you're like, mm-hmm. oh, damn, now who could it be? And it just really keeps your mind puzzling over it. So, yeah, I think I, exactly um, that's another reason that keeps us gripped. I did not. I did not guess who the killer was. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, my my wife read this book a few weeks ago, actually, just oh, randomly yeah? she read it, and she also yeah. didn't guess. Oh, cool. And, yeah, and at the end, um, so the, actually we'll talk about this just really quickly. The novel ends with the final character dying. Um, she ends up um, pretty brutally hanging herself because the demons of of what she's done sort of haunt her and they set it up so that she wants to and it, it's all manipulative and horrible. But um, then it goes to an epilogue, which is where the police are sort of talking about the case and what's happened and what they think. But even in the epilogue, we still don't find out what's who the killer was. Yeah. And then it goes to this note that was, I think, put into a little bottle and thrown into yeah. the ocean and recovered later on. 
where we find out that the killer was the judge. Yeah. Don't, don't sorry. If you if you were planning on reading this book and you haven't read it yet, I'm sorry. I should have done a little bit of anyway. It was the judge, um, and he sort of reveals all the all the ways that his plot unfurled in the note right at the end. And I thought that's such a strange ending. Like I'd never read anything like that. Have you? Does she do that a lot with like an epilogue and then an, another thing or? I think she I think she is very clever at guessing what the reader might be suspecting mm. and then it's that's not right. She you know she always is the end is the person you least suspect. So she seems to really I think must she go into the psychology of the reader's guesses and predictions and steers you along false paths. Um, there is some really clever twists in some of her other books. I think The Murder of Roger Ackroyd is one that everybody always talks about. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm completely clueless as regards to Agatha Christie. So, yeah, so tell me about that one, Roger Ackroyd. What happened there? I, I don't re- I don't remember it too well, and I won't give a spoiler for that oh, one. But everybody sorry, just that's true. I'm sorry, that's a good point. twist. Yeah, yeah, my <laughs> and bad. And also I think um, Murder on the Orient Express. That is another very clever ending. Of course, the movie came out recently. People might have seen that. And, yeah, yeah, I had forgotten who did it. And I watched the movie and I was like, wow, that is a really clever ending. (laughs) So even, you know, nearly 100 years later, she's still surprising everybody. That's crazy. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, can we talk a little bit about this particular brand of thriller, Um, which I think you do. What is it called when everyone sort of, stuck in one location like this well they they call it a locked room thriller and i think it's it's had a bit of a comeback in the last few years like we're seeing a lot of sort of semi-locked room thrillers and yeah in in a way my book is also a locked room thriller even though it's not a room i think that concept of the room has been extended quite a bit Mm. um i've I've read one called the escape room by australian author megan golden which is fantastic the characters are in an elevator Mm. in an escape room and they they would call that a locked room thriller and the the idea is it must be one of those people in that confined space who is the killer so we've got this very small cast of suspects and yeah I love that yeah it's pretty it's pretty clever and it's pretty it's it's addictive trying to figure it out like and I was putting on my hat of okay well she she will be introduced you know the plot structure, character structure, writer hat, trying to figure out how she's pulling the strings behind the scenes. But yeah. no, she was pretty adept at like hiding her manipulative moves around the characters. She was pretty clever at never revealing too much or giving each character enough so that you could suspect them all equally. Yeah. And yeah, it's And I think the, the beauty of it is when they all begin to suspect each other and they're all feeling, you know, really um, suspicious and untrusting of the other people and looking over their shoulder and just the tension just goes up and up. It's it's really great atmosphere in, in that kind of setting. Yeah, and I guess with this book, it's not really a locked room either. It's sort of a locked Island. island. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're trapped on this island, and also uh, often in this with this locked room kind of thing, we are cut off from the outside world somehow. You know, maybe that. I mean, of course, in in Agatha Christie's books, they haven't got phones, 
Mm. But in the, the recent ones, it's always good if they can for somehow be, you know, stuck there. They've got no internet, no phone, and no way of calling help from anybody. Mm. Um, there was something I thought that was just so clever because she actually mentions the phrase the red herring in this novel. Because yeah. the yeah. red herring comes into play with the nursery rhyme. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And so... It was, I believe it was. I think she said a red herring got one. And was that the one that was um, not actually, it was a fake death at the time? Yeah, yeah, it was. It yeah. was It was the judge's death. Yeah. But she. So it was a clue. For it was a huge clue. Yeah. She, she acknowledged the red herring and then she paired it with the doctor in the other character's oh. mind. So okay. then I was like, oh, well, okay, the doctor's a red herring. And then okay. she shows that it's not the doctor. And I was like, oh, okay. It, made, <laughs> it completely threw me off track. And then at the end, when Love in his reveal, he was like, there's three reasons why you should have figured this out. Yeah. Like, oh, no. And one of them was that red herring thing. And I was like, ah, oh, dang it. I never spot the clues. I'm not ever good at guessing who done it, you know. I don't know who I should be, right, but... Mm. I never can. <laughs> I actually thought it was the doctor. I thought the doctor might have okay. seen all of these people die in his hospital yeah. and that's sure. why he was, yeah, because I didn't know the, the motivation of the character. I couldn't guess that. Yeah. But so the 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 judge, um, he pretends to be shot and then the person who checks on him, he he manipulates the doctor into pretending that He's not dead. Yes. So then he, so he can get one up on Lombard because Lombard has yeah. a revolver. Yeah. Which that's funny. <laughs> and they take him upstairs and he's still alive. But in the reader's mind, we think he's dead. And yeah. so we're like, well, it's down to these three characters and we've got no clue. Man, it's, yeah, it's, I, I don't know whether we're selling it well or not, but <laughs> I think we are. It's a really fun read. And if you're interested in crime or thriller writing or just the study of, just want to read something really fun and brisk. Yeah. Um, an absolute, absolutely cool book. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's all the questions I have on it though. Do you sure. have anything else you wanted to add about it? Sure. Um, just the setting as well. I think yeah. it, I really love that setting of the island. It's this dark and windswept island and of course a storm comes towards the end so they're cut off no boats can come in to help them from the rain the, the mainland and it's full of natural dangers we've got water and cliffs and mm. it's just so atmospheric so yeah, that was another thing that. i loved about it the stuff with hugo is really interesting too the i think her name's vera the very final yeah. person alive yeah. so she keeps on seeing this sort of ghostly vision of this person named Hugo who she murdered sort of yes sort of through her negligence, negligence of, like yeah. purposeful negligence yeah allowed him to die that's and so he, he sort of haunts her and is sort of always a presence that sort of yeah and so the 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 judge knew this and was sort of manipulating her too by bringing in like seaweed into her room so yeah. then she'd have these flashbacks to this time because Hugo died in the ocean. And so, oh, just, I, I'm just, yeah, it was completely mind blowing to me that a yeah. person wrote this book and especially so wrote curious. it. Yeah. Yeah. I had that feeling of as an author, I don't know whether you get it much when you read another author and you just want 
an ounce of their talent and you're just like, oh, I yeah. wish I could do that. It's so cool. So much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Ali. Um, I really appreciate talking to you uh, with about this book. Um, and I really appreciate reading Agatha Christie. I think I'm going to have to start to borrow a few more of her books and read a few more oh, of her. Sure. her yeah, because it was really yeah, fun. Awesome. Maybe I'll have to read the Orient Express one next. Yeah, as I, I reckon. I and try the Roger Ackroyd one. See, maybe you get on with that better than me. It's slow paced, but yeah, they say the twist is is good one. So yeah, yeah. she's a real. She was a really yeah. powerful author. It seems. Yeah, full of stories. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I actually read up here. How many how many books did she write? It was something like sixty six or something like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's in, that's a lot. Like, can you? It is. That's more than yeah. one a year, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a lot. All my ideas. So, yeah, you're 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 two in. I'm two in. We've only got I know. four <laughs> books remaining. Please. All right. Well, thank you, Ali. I appreciate you. And um, yeah, best of luck with the Bay. And I guess we'll, um, yeah, I'm sure it'll go awesome. Are you excited? Are you looking forward to it coming out? You're nervous? How are you feeling? Uh, yeah. It, well, it's just two months away. So yeah, pretty nervous and pretty excited as well. So yeah. <laughs> well, I'm and thank you so much too. for inviting me to be on the podcast. I really oh, appreciate course. it. Of course. Are you having uh, like a book launch at all? Are you doing anything? I to... don't know yet. I'm waiting for it because it depends a lot on COVID. When Shiver came out, it was right in the middle of the COVID lockdown. So being a Queenslander, I couldn't even travel out of my state. Mm -hmm. So I think my publishers are a little bit nervous and I'm nervous. I don't want to get locked out and away from my kids. But yeah, I'm hoping I might be doing some bookshop signings and that sort of thing this time People... around. If you if you type in um, Ali Reynolds into Google, I'm sure they'll find your website, and then they can go yeah. and look at all your updates and stuff and dates. I'm sure, sure will be there. If also you have on events. Twitter, I always post any um, events that I'll be doing. So yeah. Oh, awesome! All right, cool. Well, thank you again, Ali, and sure. uh, yeah, looking forward to reading your new one. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs>